Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another all-new X's for Show, the show where we take a look at all the best media news of the week. That's every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. You can check us out at X's for Show on all your social medias. And as for me, I'm Nico, and you can check me out over on Nico Action on all your social medias. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me at XNateXGrayX. And that makes me Kevo, and you can find me over on the socials at Kevo Rayleigh. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And uh, we got some fun stuff in store today, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, happy Pride. Happy uh, Pride. It's a big old gay month. It's very June. Um, Super excited to be uh, super gay all month. Uh, You know, very exciting. And uh, pretty proud of what we're going to be bringing you guys today. Uh, we've got some cool stuff coming your way. First, we're going to talk about some bummer stuff, which is Disney Plus dropping crazy media from their server. Uh, then we're going to take a look at the Drag Me to Dinner drop premiere thing. We're going to take a look at the most recent two episodes of Drag Race All-Stars Season 8. And then we're going to take a look at uh, probably Kevin and my's favorite guilty pleasure in the entire world. And that is uh, Tyler Florence's The Great Food Truck Road Race, which is uh, he's just so thick and hot and delicious. And he always seems really stoned and always eating. And those are my goals. Thick, hot, delicious, always eating and stoned. So, so to be clear here, Tyler is the guilty pleasure. The food truck yeah. show in and of itself is fine. That's, yes. that's the standard if any show is a guilty pleasure, it's the worst cooks one through which we discovered Great Food right. Truck Road Race right. or whatever its title is. But through okay. which uh, you made an amazing discovery today. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, I can't wait. Uh, uh, we learned uh, about some very interesting crossovers between a lot of our uh, interests, and it's just such a tight little world, isn't it? Yeah, once you get out to LA and you look a certain way, you just gotta milk it for all you can. It's true. It's really true. You know, I love a website that features a lot of those sorts of videos. But for now, let's talk about some videos that uh, are getting delisted. Now, this is a really big conversation, right? Disney said, hey, guys, 2023, real hard. Um, that big hotel we just said, hey, everybody, big hotel. We're like, bye. Bye, big hotel. Bye. Right. And then uh, they were like, also, Hulu, bye. Bye, Hulu, bye. And then they were like, um, also, a bunch of stuff on Disney Plus and Hulu. Bye. Okay. So this is actually a pretty big point of conversation because when the first writer's strike happened, right, I really remember Tina Fey back when she was still one of the little people and not just, you know, like Tina Fey, the monolith. She was Tina Fey, the monolith, and still sort of Tina Fey, the little person. Um, she makes a joke at the end of her Saturday Night Live, we've defeated the writer's strike monologue, where, you know, there's that thing where after 9-11, David Letterman had the first late night monologue, and he's like, does any of this make a lick of sense? And it's like a really important emotional moment for America, and that's how I feel about the Tina Fey monologue following the writer's strike that opens up her episode of Saturday Night Live. Um and she makes this uh, joke where she's like, and we sure did get 0.03 cents on every stream over 10 minutes long. And like she's talking about how the big victory of the writer's strike 
is streaming royalties in perpetuity, however henpenny they are. So knowing that Disney Plus is like, however we do this metric, however we add it up and get that number, we're saying that these things are not worth the server space, the advertising, the maintenance, the royalties, the whatever. And they said... Jeff Goldblum, Willow, Pentatonix, get the fuck off our network. <laughs> Royalties and residuals is a big one that I wonder about and think about and find a little bit cruel beyond the pale uh, at this point in time. At the end of the day, I don't super care that all this stuff is leaving because... Uh, you do have to curate and make some decisions at some point. Uh, no, I just, no, I'm so sorry. Pause. Kevo, Best in Dough is on this list. I don't think there's going to be a season two. Best in Dough, it's the pizza show. It's, it's, oh, Best in no. Dough. It's Sarah Highland's Boy Toys pizza show. Like, if ever there's oh, a guy that you look at and you're just like, well, hi, Candy. Well, oh, we were just, happens. I was just going to look that show up. We were just talking about that. We were sorry, just comparing sorry. it to the drag show. Anyway, um, So anyway, I to have put these all on the chopping block and maybe said, but we will leave them up until the strike is settled because it's the least we can do to ensure that a bunch of people who are not working right now get what little money they can. Uh, and so it feels pretty cruel that they went right now uh and that's yeah. just a particular point of note um you know i'd like i said i don't really mind that a lot of this stuff is going i do think that services should curate some stuff is not successful it should not all be left up for just whenever you want access i'd love if they, maybe there was an in-between you know maybe there was some sort of tier or buy-in where you could access all of this stuff off of an archive like the vault level right exactly or you know a a you pay five dollars and you get 30 days to access stuff that's in the vaults or you get a limited number of i want to watch this vault thing right in a certain cycle or something like that absolutely like a like, library I, type system i do want to see artemis fowl a little bit uh, that's yeah, there's a lot that, of things on this. You know, yeah, there's a few things. And the fact of the matter is, I am just going to pirate the ones that they take away. So. Yeah. I so, think for me, oh. too, a lot, it's going to, my reaction is going to depend on availability of certain things outside of just streaming. I know sure. Runaways was removed and part of why I didn't add it to this list because this is like from an article, I believe, in the first place. Um, and I didn't add it to this later in part because you can still buy that. You can still right. buy Runaways and you can right. uh, even buy it digitally. Uh, so that to me is very different from something that was only ever available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, perhaps, and is now completely going away, and there's no access to it. And right. I read a Variety article 
by one of the strikers talking about the situation with streaming and how that used to just be the understanding with a lot of projects that they would just go away. Yeah. It, it's just we haven't really figured out how to navigate this evolution of we just always assumed we'd have access to certain things. And, you know, it's kind of a de-evolution because mm -hmm. we got to a place, uh, you know, we went from at the, during the first writer strike, anything that streamed, I think we did kind of think, well, it won't be there forever. I have to watch it while it is still up. Um, and then we got to a point where everybody, you know, Netflix had this enormous catalog. Everybody else was putting up these enormous catalogs and everything they had was available. And now we're paring back down for not unreasonable reasons, but sort of without any sort of contingency plan. Um, I, I mean, as I said before, most of the stuff, I'm not going to want immediate access to at all times, but I'd like to know it's sort of accessible and that, the companies that produced it, that are hosting it, that own it, uh, want to create ways for people to remember that these things exist and get access to them. Yeah. Now I'm going to say something real contentious, right? Like five minutes ago, me and five minutes from now, me are throwing punches. But I think David Zazalov might have had one point ever. And... It's one that I took a bunch of shots at last week. Mm -hmm. David Zazalov said that we got to start bundling our streaming. And I was like, that's the point of streaming packages. They're not being bundled. But think about like an Amazon freebie. You get freebie if you have Amazon Prime. Now you pay for Amazon Prime and you get freebie free. Sure. Right? So when Amazon says we don't want this stuff anymore... They just kind of sell it to their own network, Freevee. Hold on. Doesn't everybody have access to Freevee? And the point is it's because it's ad supported. But like Amazon partially owns it. Right. But it, if you don't have a Prime account, you can still watch Freevee stuff. Right. And so, but it like comes with your Amazon account, like automatically. Right, right. right? So you're just saying it's theirs and other people right. can still find it. It's just, you're, you're making because the point you can't of buy it, Amazon. Yeah. yeah. There's no Disney TV OS. There's no. Yeah. So like if you have Apple TV, you can get freebie as well, right? Whatever you have that you can install other apps, you get freebie. And freebie buys up things that other people have gotten rid of. So... A number of these shows I could see going to a Freevee or yeah. an IMDb TV. Yeah. I think Freevee is genius because I think that telling people in the streaming era that you're just opting in for more ads is fine. Most of us who are not Gen Z or younger grew up with that, grew up with the understanding that ads were in some way part of the package. We allowed ourselves to get a little spoiled at the dinner party of, you know, the buffet of... I can pay $20 and never have to see an ad. Yeah. Um, but the trade-off of that is that then we're kind of really locked into the curatorial whims of the person we're paying the $20 to. Uh, and I certainly would be happy to see more ad-supported streaming networks that are picking up a lot of content. I'm just like, my thing is like, I'm so happy that Jury Duty was created. 
Uh, If I had to sit through a ton of ads for jury duty, more than happy to do so because that was like one of the shows of the year for us, I think. A thousand percent. It's like my feel good. It just, it champions a hero. Like, you know, and it's kind of in that vein that I'm thinking about a bunch of the shows that I got cut. And I want to just, as always, give credit to the uh, handsomest gentleman in glasses on this screen. And that is, of course, going to be Kevo. Because uh, these images really help remind me of some things. I'm almost positive Encore and Willow were in the announcement Disney Plus shows. And the reason that's of note is I wonder if some of these shows were beholden to rights deals that others weren't. Such that the inaugural shows will cost more forever due to their involvement in early promotion. Whereas later shows, not Big Shots, not Mighty Ducks, two shows that turned out no online reaction except from Variety. And oh good, you're paying to have an article written. You've really done the thing. I'm just sad that stuff like Foodtastic and uh, Be Our Guest are going away. These were shows that I can't imagine on Freebie because like every third line is like, and isn't it great to be on Disney Plus? So the much quest is very Disney, yeah. But I mean, I it surprises me that Iger isn't. I mean, I, this is probably in development and is getting tested. But like, call it Disney Go, and it is Disney Freebie. You know, it's just ad supported, Disney con- free something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I. Like I said, I absolutely get where they're coming from in terms of, and also like Iger inherited Disney Plus from a guy who is maybe gonna get in legal trouble for uh his activity making getting this service off the ground uh and deceiving the shareholders and the board about uh what was happening with Disney Plus. I mean and maybe you know, that relates to the dump. Who knows? Yeah. Um we lived through an era of thinking that if we all just paid our twenty dollars a month, the companies were happy to just rake it in and give us these libraries. And that's it. That's all we need to do. We pay, they give, end of story. Uh, you know, some of it is set aside for uh, maintenance, some of it is set aside for new programming, but it's as simple as that. And it is, of course, nowhere near as simple as that. We went way too hard into, I've paid my money, I want no ads and every show at my fingertips at all times. I need something new to binge every day that is really good quality. And now we are snapping back. I think, unfortunately, we are snapping all the way back to a moment where things are a little too draconian. We cut a little too hard. We take away a little too much stuff, but Mm. maybe the next snap after this will put us a little closer to a middle. Um, We all will understand that these things need multiple revenue streams, not just our monthly subscriber fees. Companies will understand that there is going to be a certain degree of password sharing, and you cannot account for how poly people share their passwords throughout their families in various states. Yep. Uh, and, you know, just things like that, we will find the balance. Um, I think where we are, though, really specifically is a lot of bad decisions were made in the 2013 to 
2022 smorgasbord of everybody must have a streaming service with everything always available and it better be amazing and german content too kevo <clears throat> kevo um you know if you go back in my twitter feed uh back to like around christmas i think it was i was having that love affair with freebie with freebie yeah uh and all of those freebie channels uh but how we got watching... that's how we got to jury duty is because you were yeah. the freebie guy and you know i my genuine only complaint about my freebie experience was um app control is kind of janky uh, so if they could just work on that, I never had a problem with the ads. Uh, I think they do that thing where there's a button in the ad where you can like click it with your remote and and get the object. They they make that joke on Thirty Rock. Now it's real, and I love that. I think uh, they were never really that intrusive. I they never bothered me or anything. Uh, and the quality of things that I keep seeing that they're adding to Freebie. Just the other day I saw it, the entire Hunger Games series is freebies now freebie exclusive hmm. you know um so there's good stuff on there and it's worth exploring i think uh you know a lot of people want to be upset about something like a drop like this but for as much as there are so many things i wanted to watch on here how many of these things was i putting off how many of these things am i desperately sad are going to be gone or have they been there for a few years and I've been putting it off. How many things like that are there on a lot of streaming services where I'm not doing the exploring that I should be doing to make the full availability? People love to complain about what isn't on there, but then how many things do you find out are on a streaming service you have? And you're like, oh, 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 I should watch this. Um, and, oh, no, go. And I want to say that, like, in exact accordance with both of your statements, Disney took a $1.5 billion impairment charge. That means they had to pay money to remove these things. These aren't just, you can take them down. You have like rights and like deals and like contracts and promises to shareholders and promises to owners and promises to networks. You don't just take something down. This was $1.5 billion. They had to say to themselves, Getting rid of this saves them money in the long run. Now, some of this, I don't know. Some of it's a little like, why would you remove Disney fairy tale weddings unless that's going to like go up for free on YouTube? Why would you remove uh, mm. Why the Last Man unless that is defaulting to a different rights owner? But then there's ones where I'm like, why are you dropping Locked Up Abroad? Listen, I'm not a Locked Up Abroad person, but my sister, Sainted She Be, is a big hoarder's 90 Day Fiance, other shows I'm just not about kind of person. I have my own trash. And uh, she's a Locked Up Abroad person. And so like... That's something that would have kept my sister on this service. And so I do see that some of what's being cut is like, you know, like I said, Disney fairy, Disney fairy tale weddings, food tastic. Oh, 
It's uh, the guy who single-handedly launched the mustache back into the cultural vernacular. We have uh, series contributor Arturo up in the house, and he just said, pour one out for why the last man over in the comments. Uh, I completely agree. Um, Hopefully it pops up. I was going to say, know, why the last happened. man is a good example. That's going somewhere else. That, it's probably, that, yeah. Freebie, will... the last channel. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that will pop up on freebie. You're absolutely right. Um, I mean, the other ones that you're talking about, because it is expensive to serve them and it is not drawing enough subscribers, uh, new subscribers, it's probably not drawing any, and it does not have such play with current subscribers that they will lose anybody or severely impair the service that they provide by getting rid of it uh and and that's what it comes down to and you know at the end of the day the same is true probably of why the last man that to me seems a little bit more like you know because of it as a cultural touchstone because of it's tied to comics because of mm -hmm. you know who was in it they probably can do a little something with it uh you know if nothing else it can go uh, you know, get sold on Amazon Prime uh, so you can buy the episodes individually. Although I have a whole thing about that and how that's like the only way to access, uh, you know, content that you buy digitally. It's just a little annoying. Um, yeah. But I, as much as, you know, I get what the appeal of Disney fairy tale weddings would be. If you tell me nobody is watching that and it is not a draw, that is not the least bit of a surprise. And I absolutely would say cut it. Excuse me. Excuse me. But you are currently in a Looking Disney at people who had a wedding sandwich. I know. <laughs> well, and I think some of it is like, like, what is that? One special or one season of six episodes? And like, I swear to God, it's got to be Stacy telling you the must-dos that you must do. Foodtastic seemed really cool. We didn't even finish it. It only got one season. And then it just sort of sits there. And how many times is anyone going to watch it? How many new people are going to discover it? Um, you know, if anything, it just makes me sad that some of these didn't get like a second season or didn't get continued chances. Like, I... I feel bad for Mighty Ducks Game Changers because I know it's from the same guy who wrote the movies. And so, like, this was the person who made the Mighty Ducks making more Mighty Ducks. So, like, I feel bad for them. And, you know, I wanted to watch the quest. It looked cute, but again, I didn't. I wanted to watch Encore because I would yeah. uh, endlessly treat uh, Kristen Bell like a queen. But uh, Dax and I would be awesome brother husbands. But um, I and I did once propose to her in person, and she was a really great sport about it. Uh, if she ever becomes a gay man, she's going to marry you. Oh, geez. So uh, thank goodness for Kristen Bell being an incredible human being and so polite. But while we're at this, I'm going to be honest. Uh, Kevo kind of dragged me kicking and screaming to watch one broke girl's show about being a broke girl called mm. Dollface. No. It's not that I didn't want to watch it, but like there was this moment where everybody looked around and said, what would be successful? The white man think peace. And we got Louie and then 50 shows exactly like Louie. And then Louie burns in hell forever. And then we got a bunch of network executives saying, what's missing? 
the black or Latino version of this, but none of those Asian people. We don't want them. Uh, nothing from outside of a recognizable culture. Certainly no women. Certainly. And then they said, okay, we've pushed that as far as it can go. Everybody else let them in. And I felt like from the outside, Dollface was just kind of like another better things kind of show. It was just like another, you're telling me that women can be cool like men. No, uh, actually, women can't be cool like men because women are cooler than men. <laughs> you don't need to like sell it to me this way. But that was a case of where it was like, the des- the ad design was all wrong. I was going to say the problem with all of these things is the network exec of it all. Like Shrill with AD Bryan is another fantastic example. Shrill is an amazing show, but you can literally they might as well just have an exec come on screen and go, "We gave a fat girl a show. <laughs> Give me a prize." And yeah, it really was the same thing from Dollhouse. They're like, "She's a woman, but she has a show." And it just was, I was going to watch it anyway. I didn't need the weird advertisement that you were doing and the weird, like, back padding. Um, There was inevitably, like, two or three scenes in every show that were like, this was an exec note to write this. To, like, have this particular plot where John Cameron Mitchell gets taken to task for calling A.D. Bryant fat one too many times. Um, And it was like that John Cameron Mitchell? Yeah. 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 Uh, and he's good in it. I mean, everybody's good in it. There's just like a few moments he's that John it just... Cameron Mitchell, he's never been bad. That's a stretch, but um, he's great in this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And, you know, I feel like the culmination of this is actually something that showed up and then immediately is getting taken away, which is Rosaline. Um, mm. Which is, you know, a comedy shakespeare uh modernization shake-up thing that is uh you know i think i it looked very funny it was on that list of like i said i was gonna watch it but didn't um and i do just kind of wonder what's gonna happen i mean what makes this weird as well is that on top of everything else, Hulu is dissolving before our very eyes into in this, Disney Plus. Right. Um, in this way that nothing else really has. Because Hulu was sort of like the uh, demilitarized zone of all of the networks getting yeah. in on the streaming game. And then one by one, they all backed away until it was Disney with the majority share. Uh, and, you know, a lot of hands on stuff that was fox stuff and was fx stuff um and i just i mean like why the last man is not disney content and it's not disney branded content little demon sure as hell isn't they would not have made this on their own time they inherited something that was fox brand content which makes a lot of sense but what happens to it now is unique i don't want to say it's unique but it's different than like what's going to happen with willow willow is pretty obvious disney plus content whatever is happening with willow has to do with you know a bet that they no longer want to place on a property that is appropriate for them they didn't want to place any bet on why the last man so those two things are going to go in very different directions from here on out and you know 
to go even wider with it this is to kind of speaks to the problem of like there being too few corporations out there that disney owns all of this stuff yet is such a tight brand uh is you know i mean it's fantastic that fox got them the x-men back as i always talk about but uh unfortunate that now it means that they have to own why the last man a a property that isn't them and just to kind of build on that i think one of the best examples of something where i sit here kind of hmm hulu is josh peck okay hulu kind of happened in the infancy of what it is right Early in streaming, we just got Hulu. No one knew what the fuck it was. Maybe it was a bunch of companies. Maybe it was its own company servicing other companies. But when Hulu debuted, it was garbage. I remember because we had it and it was truly Uh, heinous. We got rid of it for a little while. The originals were heinous. The whole point of Hulu at the time was that they would stream network shows. So they would... that they would have the office and but they would have the office with more minutes of ads than right. watching it live right. and the but lag at was least horrible. if you couldn't get to watching it that night you had an option you know and this was because people didn't want DDRs anymore so like yeah. the whole point of hulu at the time was i have some way it really was the office and like 30 rock and parks and rec like i have yeah. some way to watch the office and then they started doing originals, and the originals were next-level garbage. Well, and even then, though, I mean, like, the service was bad. Oh, I yeah. mean, the actual platform was terrible. Yeah. And it eventually grew into something really respectable. And Josh Peck just kind of happened as a kid to be a child actor, and he's kind of grown into something respectable. But something that's incredible to think about is, like, Hulu's never been really a big hit. Hulu has always been a functional necessity. And I can't help but think about the number of vehicles that have been like, they fucking hand Josh Peck vehicles like he's a car salesman. It is insane how many times his name comes up. And it's just, he's occurring to me because of the Turner and Hooch show. He was the lead on that's being delisted. That was an expensive buy-in. That was a large project. That is a continuation of the original that was lauded as one of the early shows of Disney Plus. Hulu never happened. And if Hulu had ever been a success, I don't think, uh, I think it's the one last holdout is Universal, I think, uh, or Time Warner, I forget. But the person with the last vestige is like, no, we're giving it up. We don't care. Um, because it was never a hit. It's like Twitter literally still hasn't ever made money. Good job, Captain Tesla. But Twitter still has never made money, ever. And we sort of take for granted what not a success some of these things are. And it's because of the way they're made, the design of the program, that everything has to be so big. And I think that's part of why the writers are striking. Because one of the things that happens in the writer's strike is, you know, what was David Zasilov's bonus? The gross national product of Romania. And... You know, these writers aren't entitled to 1% of the, the streaming revenue. What? So I think one of the things that we wind up with in this situation is it's really easy to see why the writers are striking. The little they do have is being like removed from the platform. And again, we understand, like looking at a business, why you would need to take this impairment charge. 
But at the same time, man, it's a complicated situation where you just want everyone to thrive. Well, and no writer is like fighting to keep every show on streaming. True. They're fighting for their pay for the shows to get created and when they are successful to continue streaming. We all, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's such a, we can't have common sense conversations in America. Everybody is like, if it's garbage, throw it out. Like, that's fine. None of us are demanding that these things stay. But we are saying when you make a hit, pay everybody who made the hit. Don't you dare pocket all of the money. So, you know, one of the other things that occurs to me in this conversation that I feel like we're maybe skirting around, but we're not really touching on, is the nature of the danger of jury duty. <sighs> So Jury Duty is being submitted as a scripted show, which I kind of have a huge problem with because it does lead to the complication of if we start saying, well, writers are optional. We just need story developers. Suddenly the actors are writing their own lines and their own scenes, which can be really funny when it's that one line that we all talk about. You know, like it's always so funny to me that people are like, oh, yeah, you know, a great example of why we should let actors ad lib is Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool. Great. Name one other example of where everybody is so eager to give an actor credit i'll wait everybody gives chris pratt that credit for that one joke the uh network connectivity problems which is a great joke and he deserves credit for it or alan tudyk wrote the why the face joke in uh modern family when he was originally going to be phil like that's great but so few actors are on the spot, permanently brilliant like that. It's why there's only one or two improv shows on TV, despite there being 17 million improv troops around the country. So, and you're, you just named three moments and like, you know, you named one moment in <laughs> parks and Re or in uh, modern family, which is a show that had 11 seasons. Like, <laughs> yeah. And in 11 seasons, there's probably 25 of those that are truly any good like let it like memorable in any way um it's you don't improv in something that you have to record in any kind of single family you really don't improv as much as you think and i i love ryan reynolds so much he's a genius at deadpool uh but we are perpetuating a cool story and hyping it up Thank because you. we love yep. the idea that Yep. Ryan Reynolds' destiny was to be Deadpool, and he does it so well that he is just going on screen and the movie is happening. But that is not the case. And even if he has some great ad-libbed lines, that is the best case scenario, is he has some great ad-libbed lines. That movie is not an improv special. It's not a stand-up routine. It simply, it simply isn't. I know that's, that's really the cool thing to too. believe. You're, and that's the thing, because because when you said that movie, I was like, and that's the thing too, it's a movie. It is yeah. one movie, and I think of Arrested Development, where they talked about how tightly every episode was scripted. Yes. That was not an improv show. No, and, and everybody talks about it like it is because they're great actors and the writing was really good. And when those things come together, moments feel natural. I'll tell you what, when improv humor comes together, it does not feel natural. It just feels funny, but it looks 
contrived and weird and stupid and insane because it's people taking each other to insanity in comedy. It's not yep. people coming together to create the most realistic moment. The most realistic moment comes from a back and forth of testing and writing things and getting editorial involved. And then you tweak it until you create something that looks really natural because you had the time to get there on its own. That's borderline impossible, <laughs> which isn't to say that the moment won't be funny. It just won't seem particularly natural. And Arrested Development is a great example because it just seems so natural, even though it's absurd. But that is because, yeah, it is written and directed and acted so well but so according to a plan mm -hmm. and you know it kind of makes me think of uh, one of my favorite moments in television history which to start george michael's voice is literally the feeling of intercourse it is <laughs> at all times the most perfect smooth soft oh god you're talking about actual george michael <laughs> yeah no oh, not god. Michael yeah. no not michael oh gosh <laughs> no he's not together yeah. Uh, so, uh, actual George Michael, Greek, hairy-chested, jacks off in public, God, George Michael. Uh, long may he rest in peace till I get there to mess that butt up. Uh, he is... Uh, God, I said that on air. So, um, at least he's a ghost. So... <laughs> okay. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> Uh, I bring all of this up because um, the best use of faith, I'm sorry, freedom, a freedom 90 uh, that I can think of mm. is it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Just want to be really clear. If you think that a movie scene can come together when a bunch of actors ad lib it perfectly with absolutely no notes and the lighting is perfect and the sound design is perfect and the camera placement is perfect and the staging is perfect and the props are exactly where they need to be every time you truly believe that a group of people that have never rehearsed a musical number before can suddenly group spontaneously choreograph a number to George Michael's Freedom 90 and it not just end with Mac going ah right you've literally missed the point when people uh, are like wow I bet like that super cool moment where everybody's harmonized together is like I wrote an arrangement today where I came up with an outro that was so perfect I was like oh that's great and I realized I could layer it throughout the song so I just layered it throughout the song and I was like wow what a great moment there's still a couple of off notes in there there's still a couple of moments where like, I got to go back and do it right. It's a perfect piece of, of magical music symmetry, but no five people can improv rent. And like, I do think that there is this weird belief that because we've all played red light, green light, one, two, three, and had a really good time that there is an ability to improv anything and have a really good time. There yeah. isn't. And this whole 20-minute lecture has been because writers matter and writing matters. It's an art. And scripting and, and directing and planning and actually working to make art. Not just hoping it comes out in the spirit of the dance. And, and the it, people who do that deserve money as long as the thing is making money. They don't deserve a one-time shitty in the first place paycheck and then they're done. 
because the company certainly will be making money as long as the thing is making money and the company doesn't get to make these shows without these people doing it for them so it is a partnership in which everybody should benefit continually when i think about things that are left to i guess haphazard evolution i think about things that wind up in positions that we don't know how to break out of right like so the modern highway system should not exist as highways have evolved along with the american people we've been left with a physicality of infrastructure that is just simply unmanageable to just change there are probably a million better ways to design roads for the seven billion people spread across seven continents that live on earth today but we're stuck with the roads that were believed to be the best about 200 years ago and that's just sort of what we're all building up from i understand it when it's physical things but when we're talking about things like broadway broadway is one fucking street it is 20 houses and like a bonus house and everything else just isn't Broadway because we have some simple decision that geography matters in ways that denote the quality of art. And I just don't believe that's true. So when we wind up in these situations with TV shows where these several networks are beholden, you know, are controlling everything and we are all beholden to them, even when we made the jump to streaming, we still all belong to HBO. It's Max and it's combined with Discovery. We still all belong to Showtime. It's Paramount Plus and it's combined with CBS. We're still all beholden to these ideas, these corporate identities, and it has never improved to benefit the writers. Yet we are more than ever beholden to these specific mediums. And I just think it's really a tough thing because we don't want our mediums to change, but they have to end moss to remain financially stable. So, I don't know. I'm all about the writers. I think the writers in this writer strike, uh, it's looking good for them right now. I think they deserve a lot of the credit. I think they're really doing the thing. And uh, I think about what happened last writer strike. And that was the rise of reality television, like the Kardashians and The Apprentice. And I just don't know that we can handle another one of those. Uh, you know, I don't think I don't. I think we can't handle um, a a reality TV uh, wave. But I do think that um, the recognition of content creators like ourselves and the engagement that people have with, uh, you know, I don't want to say amateur, but non, non-union, non-studio uh, production um, is... It's happening. It's you know, Twitch has never been more active. YouTube Live has never been more active. All of these services and all of these people that are, and you know, because we're this is not a one way thing. We, I think, all watch as much as we do uh, produce, and it is a, an entire culture that a lot of people are involved in. It is interactive in a lot of ways, and my hope is that that is the thing that is taking. So that is filling some of the space that is left open by this writer strike and that when things settle it will not be we can only have one or the other we can only have a robust union system of productions and that means that streamers must suffer 
I think that what this can do is show people who really appreciate the fine work that writers do that, uh, you know, professional streamers are doing their own production and their own writing and doing it in their own way. That is an alternative to, uh, you know, union productions that is also really valid and also very entertaining. Uh, I think, I don't think we can ever plumb the depths of reality TV and the depravity of reality TV, but man, do I think we uh, can't do much new with the medium. I think the the newest thing we've done is jury duty, (laughs) which it feels like nobody's really in a rush to try and recreate. So, uh, you know, I think this time around, different stuff will be shaken out of the panhandling as we uh, do this. I now, really get that. And I was about to say, you know, Kevo, there's still like big TV things, right? Something that people maybe need to remember, unfortunately, is this is not a global writer's strike. And this is an explicitly American writer's strike. And uh, there is a pretty phenomenal bit of crossover material. Now, you're going to talk about the most um arousing bit of crossover material that we've ever found across our tv programming later on hey what's up worst cooks hottest boys but um there's another bit of crossover that's really interesting uh in the last year jinx monsoon has taken over our entire television and uh she's gonna be taking over yet another avenue of our television because British TV isn't affected by the writer's strike. And even though Disney plus is co-producing Dr. Who it's uh, technically the British program. So like their season's going on. No problem. Exactly. This is the greatest moment in Dr. Who history because everything's getting out of its way and it's taking a year off more than that. Uh, let me double check the number, um, but there's like, I want to say, yep, okay, it's more than I thought it was, but eight episodes in the upcoming series, so it's not even like a full 13, um, so what advantage is it taking, unfortunately, but yeah, uh, that is definitely something to keep in consideration i will say the uh, big advantage is that um you know when this is all said and done productions will get back on track but uh doctor who even if they are taking a break right now like you know ultimately if they could be airing right now they'd be the only thing people were watching but in a year everything that should have aired against them will not be airing against them Uh, And they won't be the only thing, but they certainly will be ahead of the curve in a way that uh, I think could give them a little bit of a boost. Not, you know, also really, I'm also really hoping they have stuff in the works. I hope that it's, it's these eight episodes, but there's also other stuff. I I, I don't even know. It it definitely seems like there is a lot more and they're doing the smart thing and not announcing it all at once. But yeah. the return of Russell T Davies could only kind of herald the return of a bunch of content and a bunch of different, uh, you know, attempts to see what people will tolerate from the Hooniverse. It's what he's always wanted. It's 
also really interesting to think about globalization as it relates to these sorts of things, right? Amazon Prime. Let's talk about it for one fractal of a second because it didn't occur to me to right now because I ultimately moved on from it immediately. But uh, Citadel, starring two of the finest human beings to ever walk the planet, which clunked pretty much immediately. But part of why I bring up Citadel is because it offers us a unique opportunity to discuss a program that is genuinely international. While Citadel is produced by Amazon U.S., all of the spin-off programs that are going to be unique to each country are produced by each nation. So even if Citadel never comes back with another season, a hundred spin-offs could. Now, I'm going to be honest, beyond the fact that she is like quite literally the hottest woman in history um, and the most evil person to ever walk the planet, Valentina hosting uh, Drag Race Mexico. I'm thrilled to watch, you know, I'm thrilled to watch anything uh, subtitled or dubbed in the first place. But an opportunity to appreciate something I love in another language. Uh, I'm I'm really thrilled for that. I wouldn't not like I wouldn't resist any show I watch getting a, a, a Mexican spinoff or a, a Portuguese spinoff or a Japanese spinoff and just, you know, really subtitle it carefully. But and I'm not trying to, like, take art away from American writers. I'm not trying to be like, ha ha, circumventing the writer's strike. I'm trying to be like, there's so many forms of art that America maybe doesn't appreciate. When I think about, like, European television landscape it is filled with shows from the UK, from Spain, from Germany, from Switzerland, from so many European nations. And then they still make room for all the American shows and they make room for Asian programming. You know, France is such a fan of anime and uh, of, um, oh my gosh, why is my brain Sentai that France has its own branch stand to do a little bit more like that and maybe interpolate some foreign ideas of media into their own vernacular. And I think, uh, you know, if you create something great that begets international versions, that's really a boon for you as a, you know, as a writer, as a creator, as a developer of shows. And it's, it, it, that's not to say like, I hope somebody creates something and then we can kind of usurp it and do international versions and never have to go back to the original again. It's to say how great to have made something that is such a hit. You know, again, I go back to the office, how great to have made a show that was such a hit that they wanted to make an American version that took off in such a way that like every country got an office, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the got talents, the uh, um, the idols. There's uh, like seven desperate housewives, actually. You know, I think Citadel is a fantastic example because it, that's like an ecosystem. Because it, you know, there, the, those are like every office show is a remake. Every international office is a remake. It's not like Michael Scott went over to India and helped them set up the office. Citadel, like the shows that are happening are spinoffs. They are meant to be their own country in their, in the language of the country they take place in. And like, you can 
watch them subbed or dubbed and catch up, but it's a whole series of shows that are kind of, that lean towards the country they're produced in and about. Um, and similarly, the international drag races are really for the country you know, for people in that country to celebrate their drag of their country, but it's a cultural exchange as well. Everybody is interested in what, you know, Spanish drag is like versus American drag and what Mexican drag is like versus American drag. Uh, Canadian drag. No, I'm Canadian. Canada's drag race is fantastic. Um, It has uh, my current all-stars hero, Jimbo. It, it did have Jimbo at one point. Jimbo became the international sensation that no longer needs it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it really as a writer or as a developer, that what a blessing it could be and what a what a great thing you would have done to create something that goes beyond just the show you created in your home country. Um, and... You know, I, I should have used that segue to go right into talking about Drag Race. Well, um, you know, and I'll just chime in first just to agree with, you know, everything that we're saying. Um, and, you know, part of the issue used to be globalization was so much harder. Importing was so much harder. So that's part of why everyone made their own versions. Uh, but internationalization is so much easier now with this stuff. And that's why Russell... Uh, was such a champion for this partnership with Disney for Doctor Who to be able to better bring it uh, throughout the globe uh, because that's how you can do now. And um, for whatever it may or may not have accomplished, just the experiment of Citadel and this attempt that they're doing to have it be the different shows that connect uh, internationally, um, it's just really cool. And, you know, experiments are experiments, and whether or not this one continues to develop or take off, uh, now other people can try it. And so that's pretty neat. I also just need to go out of my way to say that, um, my God, that is the hottest uh, two-person lead ever. Uh, We have come a long way since Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. And... um, you're talking about uh, Richard Madden and Priyanka Chopra. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking yeah. about how Nick Jonas might be the luckiest man in the world. And whoever is currently under uh, Icarus over here is also pretty lucky. It's his uh, long-term roommate that they're never seen apart. Who is it again? Cause I hope it... they're still doing well. Froy. I, I forget Freud, his name. Right. Froy Rodriguez uh, Gutierrez? Gutierrez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's frequently credited as being in Teen Wolf, but he was in like like some of the last six episodes, but he was Elena's boyfriend on one day at a time. We love one day at a time. If it got him his SAG card, good for him. Yeah, that too. Yep. Everyone get their bag. Yeah. Put in these two kids. And it's really of note that the big problem with Citadel isn't the globalization attempt, but evidently it's just like, it's just not the thing is what critics seem to agree. It's not that it's a disaster, but it, you know, maybe needed a little more time simmering, um, you know, but all said and done, I think the big thing we need to keep in mind with a lot of this programming and a lot of this TV discussion is that we're standing on a precipice of technological advancement in so many ways. Uh, I think about the fact that the like worst cell phone on the market 
is better than the best laptop from like 15 years ago and how like that reality is really important to consider with your media you know there's a a lot less lascivious jokes about it but we've seen john ritter's testicle because tvs didn't used to be hd enough that that kind of thing would be visible but when they cleaned up three's company there sure as shit is a scene where john ritter's balls are hanging out of one of his shorts legs and you just never could have seen it till hd conversion so we're like literally looking at a period of time where like i make jokes all the time that the two gorgeous male models on the price is right need looser pants because I am very aware which way Jimmy and Devin dress. The reason I bring this up is because that's just a funny example of some things that are very real. We're at a point where now we could watch a TV show on our phone and click a link and get more content. But what about when you watch it on your TV? How does that affect the experience? Does the material need to be self-sufficient? And does the link need to be more? Or can we make material? That is designed to be watched on your phone. And what does that mean to a program like Disney Plus who was designed with the mobile age in mind? Is that why we're seeing them clear out a lot of programming? Because they're thinking next generation programming and having 200 titles that remind us that very recently Disney was not in the habit of creating progressive programming, but rather remining the well of remakes and revivals. And they're looking to get away from that. There's just a lot of things that go into this moment of Disney Plus removing programming on the same moment, like that, you know, overlap, that Venn diagram of magic that is also the writer's strike. And, you know, just to throw another factor in the mix, uh, the only really attempt that we've seen at mobile content or anything like mobile content uh, that everybody thinks about is Quibi. The unmitigated disaster that I think had Quibi not happened, we might be looking at a really different moment right now in terms of making short form content for mobile, making content that, you know, specifically is filmed with a smaller screen in mind, an HD screen, sure, but a smaller one. Um, but the absolute kryptonite curse misery that was quibi is such that now if anybody says you know and i want to produce content that i think people will consume on their phones because i know people are on their phones a lot somebody else goes well remember quibi and then the deal is off before it even began so you know it, it's just it's fascinating like we we live in these moments that are made up of all these other moments that we're all kind of experiencing and just trying to roll with sometimes passively as consumers, sometimes actively as creatives ourselves. And you just kind of got to do the best with what you got and, and root for your heroes and the people that deserve to be treated the way you would want to be treated. If you were in their shoes, I got a closet full of Stephen Barry's for you. Yes. I'm very closeted. I can tell that about you. So, Kevo, how you feeling? You are like the Disney guy. Uh, you know, for those of who don't know, Kevo was always like Disney adjacent. But like my family was like um, I from age six to like age 18, I was over entitled and privileged enough to have a Disney annual at like all times. And uh, so I grew up being like a, a fucking Disney parks kid. 
like I grew up going to the Halloween party when there was two a year. I went to the Christmas party when there was three a year, you know, like this was something that was always a part of my holiday understanding. And like, so getting to share the Disney parks with Kevo when he became my boyfriend and then my, my husband, you know, it was always a really exciting thing. And we worked for the Disney company. It's an enculturation and, you know, just italicized the word cult in there. It's very, she sells sanctuary. How do you feel Kevo about um, the general state of the Disney enterprise with things like galactic uh, finance killer closing and uh, you know, the Hulu impairment. Yeah. Uh, That one is so hard. I, we're going to have to do a whole other thing talking about that because I don't even know what to make of it. It's so sad. And clearly the answer is not just lower the price. So I don't even know what they're going to do with it. Um, you know, this, like I said, just makes me sad because there's a few cute titles um, on this one that I'm disappointed to see ultimately didn't work out for them. Uh, but for every Turner and Hooch, for every Mighty Ducks, there's uh, the new Doogie Hauser, which I think is going into its third or fourth season. Oh, and that's great is, catch, Kevo. Yeah, and that's really cute, and it's really great Hawaiian representation. It's got Cameron Manheim's son in it, which we love. Um, you know, I just, I see something like uh, The One and Only Ivan is by the woman who wrote... Uh, Animorphs. She wrote the book that that's based on. Uh, Better they, Nate Than Ever is by the guy who created High School Musical, the series. And so it's really cute, queer content. Um, just, on the subject of the one and only Ivan, I just want to say uh, film star uh, eternally hot daddy Brian Cranston uh, yeah. said that he's pretty devastated that of all of the works he's ever done, this is the one that makes him feel like he can show it to members of his family the most readily. And so he is pretty sad that this is gone and hopes that Disney finds it in their heart to bring it back at some point, which I just think is like from a guy that looks so good in briefs, really important to mention. Yeah. I mean, other people watched Breaking Bad for Aaron Paul. I watched it for fucking Brian Cranston. Jesus. I love Aaron Paul. Always loved Aaron Paul. Always um, Brian Cranston. <laughs> I think the thing that I most think of as well, though, when it comes to this is I remember the Disney vault, which is coming back 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 in the day. It is Um, coming back. A bunch of things are going to get delisted from Disney plus for months at a time and be relisted and advertised now back on Disney plus snow white for a limited time. Now back on Disney plus beauty and the beast for a limited time. Iger made things come back. So, you know, I just hope none of it's lost to time. Thankfully, none of it, you know, none of it is. None of it's in a warehouse that's burning down. Um, exactly. Not the hats for Main Street Electrical Parade in 2010. Yeah. It's Don't let him tell you this fire. story, people. If he starts telling the story, run. Um, but no, I mean, the, what's next is the question. And thankfully, the one thing that we know is that none of this stuff is like physically deleted. So yeah. we just we now we play the waiting game and you know i think the thing that has me the most excited is that we are in a position where they're actually kind of listening to us i think about you know uh hot older boyfriend was asking me about um 
It's Always Sunny. And he keeps being like, is the gay one still gay? And I was like, yeah, Max still gay. Max like actually gay now. And he's like, why though? Like, I'm thrilled. But like, how did that happen? And I'm like, Rob um, McElney really like. Nico, yeah. That was me. <laughs> no, it was both of you. But it was him on the way home in the car every okay. other hour being like, for real? Because we had this exact conversation like two weeks ago. But you had far less incredulity about it. You were like, okay. Yeah, Rich has a harder time accepting this. So I had to be like, no, uh, Rob McElney's lesbian moms and like fan backlash. And like there was a push and we got it. We're in an era where I don't like this term, but you can sort of let's go with group mob mentality <laughs> a network into giving you something in some way so i'm just really excited that this stuff if there's enough outcry we're gonna get runaways back which i can't believe that the one that we would fucking talk about we've like talked about for two seconds and moved on did we watch season three any no. good because it's not good, and it's also not in continuity, and I'm hoping if we all forget about it, they'll redo it. I just want to remind everybody that Bella Thorne laughed and said, that's definitely not his nudes leaked. So uh, that's my big runaways walk away. Mm. So um, whatever his name is, Hot Chase Boy. Greg Sulkin. Uh, Greg Sulkin, yeah. All right. So, so, so we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk all things drag drag dinner drag all stars drag me to hell um which not yeah so okay like definitely come back to hear me be a little bit tough on doogie hauser og um so so the uh like subscribe commercials i'll keep flexing periodically if you stick around uh maybe these guys will who knows it'll get real sexy um but it's pride it is pride month right so uh it's pride month all month long and i just want to remind you if you're any kind of queer any kind doesn't matter even a little bit queer you belong you're here we love you um like subscribe commercial so welcome back this is X's for Show, your weekly media response program. We uh, love to do multiple shows a week, uh, usually talking about some big media thing, and then our weekly TV roundup. This is our weekly TV roundup, hitting hard on a Saturday. Uh, I am so excited because one of the things that has been so incredible in this last year has been how much we've really given ourselves over to maybe the queerer side of our reality tv love not just starting things like uh jumping into drag race uh both balls in but also uh really reliving and reloving project runway in its many splendored forms um you know we've had a really interesting tv like reality journey uh, we got into one of our favorite shows, Food Truck Road Race, because of a hot gay boy on Worst Cooks. So, like, there's a lot of layers to the way these shows are all connected. So, before we can talk anything else drag or anything else reality competition, I want to start with Jonah, a uh, beautiful boy, uh, helped create this show, our incredible partner. We love him so much. Uh, Jojo 
said you guys should watch Worst Cooks in America. That's something you guys might enjoy. So we started watching Worst Cooks in America, and there was a lovely young man on it named Sharon. And it turns out Sharon and a couple of other guys from that season of Worst Cooks went over. I have visuals. Oh, we have visuals. Ooh. We have visuals. Ooh. So uh, these guys, Sharon is the gentleman in the middle who is just so handsome and sweet. Uh, really good guy. Uh, who actually went on to a a career in food like this inspired him to become a food guy um these three gentlemen went on to be on great food truck road race where they competed as just wing it and uh it's really funny because one of them goes on sharon the guy in the guy the guy in the middle who uh does drag actually um now find a picture or i'd have one right but definitely did drag for a very long time had come up repeatedly um he goes on to have like a career in the culinary arts while the guy on the right just uses this to try and launch an acting career and it doesn't work. So, uh, but we loved these guys so much that we watched every episode of food trucks because it turned out to be a really great show, but jumping back a minute, Kevo has had a, a bit of a crush on, uh, one of the, uh, one of the pit crew boys. Now, my favorite pit crew gentleman, uh, I haven't seen too many images of him. It's not hard to tell because there aren't too many Asian pit crew members. Uh, mm. But there's a very muscular pit crew member who is a, an Asian gentleman who is quite gorgeous. Um, never caught his name, unfortunately. Um, but I know, TK, you have married Sean in your heart. Yeah, I don't know if we can count Sean anymore because it's been so many years. But Sean was my first love. Uh you know, I it just beautiful man. Now I think it's Bruno. Uh, Bruno's just the best. Uh, mm -hmm. But this gentleman. Well, and that's the funny thing. I always um, found a stuff really attractive, and but there was always just something about him. And then today, when I was doing the research for. Um, great food truck for us to talk about it and to talk about the season where we had fallen in love with uh sharon and followed these characters over to the great food truck race to fall in love with this show to begin with um this was their season and imagine my unbelievable surprise when i discovered that Saf was one of the um long lasting contestants of this season i completely completely had forgotten we were in love with these two men in particular we love daddy jonathan and asaf the most from these two teams um but you know obviously nico was Melda sharon that is it's 280 no my type it's absurd how my type he is like Charlie oh cox but make it jewish like that's That's me, right? Charlie Cox, but uh, keeps it kosher. That's the dream. So then the fact that Sharon did drag, the fact that Asaf was then over on Drag Race, like that all of these things are so connected and so queer and I love it and I'm in. Although amusingly, he is a straight man with a wife and kids. Um, and... and yeah, he, he talked about when he was on this show that he wanted to learn how to cook because it was the only thing that he didn't have to draw on a wife yeah uh well he, he figured it out because he got one he also um was on one season of the challenge uh 
really yeah uh which the drag race crossover there is that cameron michaels quit uh drag and now does the challenge workout series uh and a lot of steroids um so just a psa you can't look like that just from doing the challenge workouts so no and you can ask sherry pie all about it getting huge what is it like it what would you feel about the sound of you getting bigger um unhinged unhinged man i love it we've all anyway uh, i've into the nifty archive but jesus happy pride month that was an amazing find kevo and uh also just really goes to show how small these circles are and these are people that also do not work if writers are not properly paid so think about that Frankie Grande doesn't want anyone to know who his famous sister is on Big Brother, but wants everyone to know on Drag Race. I think he just expects that they do know. Uh, Well, okay. Let's talk a little bit about an actual drag program. Um, But first we'll talk about uh, Drag Me to Dinner. Okay. I want to say I was so excited about Drag Me to Dinner because it has all of the magic and promise and charm of the Muppet Show. Celebrities slotting into this weird, kooky crew. I only wish it was like you guys are coming in to like have a banquet thrown in your honor, and these idiots are throwing it for you instead so you of. Wish there was a little bit more story. Yeah, instead of the drag queens are the idiots. I don't know. We only watched the pilot, Kevo and I. We actually watched it with our whole family, so it was really special. It was me, Kevo, TK, and then our guys, Jonah and Jake. Uh, It was really wonderful. I'm in for Neil. I'm in for David. I mean, I think there's some things to be said about the, you know, queer white representation of... But whatever. Um, I love Bianca. I really appreciated a lot of the, the... What was going on here, but I... I can't do TV shows where there's literally no purpose. There's no yeah. purpose. Um, I, I, you are being exceedingly positive and generous, and I love that about you. And I don't want to be super negative. Uh, the only reason I'm okay being a little bit negative about this is because the queens didn't produce this show themselves. They all do fantastic um every queen that shows up is lovely and does what they do best the problem here is this is 50 percent a competitive party throwing show and 50 percent uh like a drag race challenge where you are doing an improv sketch of putting on a party and yet nobody has actually done the work of balancing out these two ideas so they're not actually really competing they are not making any of the food in fact so many of the jokes are you know like uh the in the second episode i want to say it's the one with orgy um they're they're making a an egg dish in a food processor and they just throw the egg in and it's not an accident it's like a joke that they're crazy oh no it's the one with bb zahara benet uh and she she throws the egg in and it's it's not a joke it's or it's not a it's not a mistake in like the actual attempt to cook the food she's like it adds flavor but of course they're not going to serve this 
dish <laughs> with an eggshell food processed into it. Like that's not the recipe. It's just this weird. Even if they that's pretend happening. that's what they eat, they're not right. actually going to serve this to Neil Patrick Harris and David Burtka and right. any of these hoes. So yeah, when exactly the dinner party takes place, clearly the interns and the PAs have come in with actually prepared food or at least styled food with like one piece that is edible or at least not poison. And then they do this improv challenge of having the party that is fine and funny. And you know, they're all good at least Uh, some of them are better than others. None of them are bad. Like none of them are unwatchably terrible. But then there's this moment where Bianca, Hanifa Wood, uh, Murray Hill, who is ostensibly the host and a drag king, David Burtka and Neil Patrick Harris all gather around and evaluate the parties, including the food, as though they all put in a legitimate amount of work that was all on the up and up in order to produce the party and i just sit there wondering was this a competitive reality tv show or is this an improv sketch show and unfortunately it's not that it's both it's that it is neither woof yeah uh in a way that just doesn't do anybody any favors and I think what really annoys me is the people that come off least scathed at first glance are Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka, and I don't like that. Uh, I would like for them to be taking all the heat. Now, are all of their segments like other than the everything the obvious... was like what you saw? That's I went in to watch more to confirm. Nobody uh... does anything different. Nobody does better or worse than what we saw. Uh, does Neil get that drunk every episode? No, but there's okay. always like something going on. Weird, weird foot to lead off on. Uh, the, the, so the other thing is like the they're like if you do well in this challenge, David Burka comes and helps you out. If you do poorly, David Burka in drag comes and makes it more difficult for you, which is also makes no sense. Um. I don't I don't know man like I I love Hanifa Wood I love Bianca Del Rio I do not like Neil Patrick Harris or David Burka uh I don't I would not like I don't like them like I wish them ill but I'm not compelled watching them do this and they're not a drag draw by any means no not to me uh it feels like really a queer draw are they no, I mean, it feels like for straight people, for straight people yeah. who are allies who want to see queer culture, uh, but don't want to talk about fisting, it's watching Neil Patrick Harris and David Burke uh, talk to sanitized drag queens. Great. Let me continue to sanitize homosexuality for you. Right. The good news is we're all just friends and only hold hands. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I mean... The queens are all great, and their comedy is good, their looks are good, but they are not given parameters to succeed. They make the best of what they are given, but they are basically doing their best to be doing the comedy and the improv, but it doesn't really help when production is saying, like, give us some competitive reality TV show beats... But then we know they are not actually 
attempting to do anything that you could reasonably be evaluated on. And, like, do we think they came up with the concepts for the parties, at least? Is that maybe, like, did you say this is, we want it to be this tropical theme, and we want this to be the menu, or is it, does it seem like this is even just David doing all of it? I would be very happy to learn that Queens negotiated what their concept would be or were given options and all got to choose one that worked. Uh, You know, if a team was said, I want to do Whoring 20s, which is the one with Thorgy, then the other team that said, I want to do it, those are the two that got it. Uh, But at no point does it seem, is there any indication that Queens came up with their themes or picked them? In every case, they are delivered unto them. Uh, That said, it does kind of seem like you would go in having some of the uh, these ideas, coming up with them on the fly, uh, I don't feel like is very likely. So, um, you know, I, I imagine they knew ahead of time what their theme would be. They knew, you know, they either planned themselves or production gave them ideas for what they would serve. Um, and then from there, they're just kind of coming up with... Uh, jokes based on the theme and jokes based on uh what they are are serving and doing for the decor in the party without being negative or mean-spirited many incredibly talented performers once again let's talk about writers need to buy jokes right and uh i would be hard-pressed to believe that they didn't have their song done well before they got there with room to change lines here and there to what happened live um but you know, I think about how when I was a kid, I was really into like the groundlings and um, like comedy warehouse improv troupe in Orlando. And the thing you would come to realize is is the melody for 50 songs. And sometimes they just do it as da 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 and sometimes they do it as like da 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 and so that's how all of them can always do it every time but it's so rehearsed and all they do is mad libs plug in noun plug an adjective plug an adverb plug in the thing that makes sense because especially when you're harmonizing it's hard now don't get me wrong jinx monsoon and ben de la creme are you know beyond masters of their craft they are you know standard setters for their industry and if anybody could improv these songs it's them but you know who couldn't know how to improv it perfectly the lighting and the sound design and the camera people so there's no way in my mind this isn't rehearsed 15 times especially knowing that uh jinx restarted her song three times at the season 15 finale because it wasn't up to her professionalism standards don't get me wrong jinx is missy elliott high in this episode yeah She's sitting on the curb with a pocket full of herb. Look at her. She's flying. She's as high as a bird. So. Yeah, no, you are. You're 100% right about that. So 
Um, you know, on the whole, I will watch more. I am excited to watch more. More is in my in my my near future. But I was ultimately probably unimpressed with the offering of the first episode. How about you, Kevy? Yeah, I would have liked a lot more than the Queen's just showing up in a lot of ways. I really give it to all of the Queens. They are all fantastic. They all do their thing. Uh, Alexis uh, Mateo and Vanessa Vangie Mateo are very them. And, you know, everybody... Yeah. Everybody comes with exactly who they are in a way that, you know, for 20 minutes on screen or whatever it is, they, it, they get to feature themselves. They get to be there. I'm really going hard on production. I'm really going hard on the the staff here. Uh, I do think, and, and, and the developers, I think they fell down on the job of figuring out what this thing was going to be. Uh, I really wish that it feels like it was a uh, pre-production room in which everybody was scared to tell somebody no, uh, because some of these ideas are a great first start, but then you go, well, wait a second. And like, this happens with the three of us when we're coming up with concepts for this show and for other things we want to do, where one of us will say like, well, what if it's this? And usually it's Nico and Kevo and I have to go like, okay, that's good. But then like, uh, we but can't have fireworks now? indoors. So what would you do if you wanted to give the feeling of fireworks, but not set off explosives in a crowded room? And then we come up with the next idea. This very much feels like somebody was like, what if we did something that was neither competitive reality TV show or improv drag show? And everybody in the writer's room was just like, please do not fire me. That sounds great. I will get the team involved. And it just it just feels like there needed to be somebody who was like, no, you got to pick one. They can be funny on a competitive reality TV show or we can make very clear that they are not doing a single thing and that the judging is a joke as well. And then we'll go from there. And some stuff just, you know, is cool for its existence sometimes, too. You know, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this photo of this cast and I'm like, this is. 40 goddamn drag queens that I am looking at here. It's awesome. And this is not drag race. This is not. I was going to say, amazing that it is half not drag race girls. So a bunch of people. And you know, like, yeah, exactly. Jackie Beat and Sherry Vine are very well known if you know drag, but like a lot of drag race girls are well known, even if you don't know anything about drag culture, but drag race. And so even those two who book tours and make money and do fine, it's great that now they're getting a little bit of uh, mainstream focus. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. I, I think that's the perfect thing to say in that, like, some things are just great for their existence, even though I'm, I really mean what I say about production. The fact that the show exists at all, you are right, is awesome in its own way. And hopefully now someone can make that the, version that we yeah. want, because yeah. we're here saying this is what we want. Um, so hopefully. And from How I Met Your Drag Mother to mother drag uh you know the thing about 
RuPaul's All-Stars that is hard for me not to miss, that is exactly the thing about this show. I don't know that I care about the faux celebrity that I help create with these queens. I talk more about Lux and Mistress and Lucy. Lucy, so fucking hot. This pride, please. Hit me up. Let's have a good time. You're beautiful. Um, God, so hot. And um, I really think that the sort of celebrity culture we create around these queens gives birth to all stars. But you know what? I'm thinking about it, and I don't think I'd watch Darian Lake play Risk. And I'm thinking about it, and... No, you know what? I don't think I am here to watch Alexis Michelle play Sorry. Maybe Twister. But uh, not Sorry. And my whole point there being like, All-Stars exhausts me because I'm not here to watch these people play a game. I'm here to watch these people win a game. like, And so that they're like, I'm going to vote for this person. I'm like, shut up. I don't care. And then they're always like, you voted for me, so I'm going to vote for you. And I'm like, oh, God, you're all behaving like like babies, like big babies. Like, it's weird because in some ways you graduate from RuPaul's Drag Race and you go on to All Stars. And in some ways it's like graduating from the Muppet Show to Muppet Babies because it becomes so much more personal. And it's so frustrating. Maybe it's just because we are in the process of catching up on everything and especially All-Stars as quickly as we are. But where we are in our current cycle and seeing where All-Stars is now, it feels like it feels sometimes like these people have never watched their own shows before. And it feels like every single season we are seeing a new batch of All-Stars learn the same lessons that have been learned every single season. And you really you know it's all reality television though so i i I, to be fair i'm glad you ended on that note because yes it is all reality television and that is a big part of the point and the fact is people aren't going to buy it if you don't convince them that you are being that stupid and if they don't buy it what's the point And I think especially on Drag Race, people want you to give them stupid, silly TV moments. And I think the moment that I realized that this was the case was with Gia Gunn and Pheromone in All Stars, where... Uh, and I've and I've listened to Gia talk about this outside of after leaving and essentially being like, I was just trying to get Farah to show up with me and do a moment. Uh, I don't really give a shit about her. And, and like, she, I mean, she's kind of cruel. Like, she's like, I wasn't actually like upset with her, but I also don't care about her. Like, I wasn't trying to do anything, but like, give us both a moment to fight publicly on television that would make for good reality TV and poor Farah thought we were actually having a disagreement and that she was kind of fighting back against me and like those are two modes of person because that ended up being a very good TV moment in that episode of All Stars but poor Pheromone is actually sincerely trying to combat a bully and Gia meanwhile is like no like if we both just are cunty to each other Uh, It'll make for good reality TV. Now, by eight, most of these girls, for the most part, I think, do know this and are operating around this level. 
Uh, I think in this episode, for in this most recent episode, for instance, Kahana really was annoyed that uh, Heidi was taking shots at her. And I get why. Then don't be at a stand-up show. Oh my god. Yeah, don't be bad if you don't want somebody to, you know, capitalize on that. Um literally a beautiful a beautiful queen, incredibly talented, moves like none other, but that is not what we're here for. Yeah. I think meanwhile in that same fight, Candy doesn't actually really care. Um you guys, news. <laughs> you guys haven't gotten to it yet, but Candy has one of the most enormous blowouts in all-star history. Shock. With, uh with Tamisha Amon uh mother of Tandy Amon, who you have seen do the Wonder Woman split video. Uh, and it's just this enormous screaming match. Uh, and That's the greatest video. Yeah, I, it you're is. talking about holding up for a hero? <laughs> yeah. That is the single... I... So that is the greatest video. I, that is the that is the that is the literal that is the literal that is the whole reason we dedicate this much time of our lives to drag race. I know that video. So her drag mother yeah, is on. Her drag mother is on season thirteen of Drag Race with Candy Muse, and they get into this just insane fight. And Candy's giving it her all, but at the end of the day, ultimately, Candy knows that she is doing it to produce her part in a reality tv show and that is exactly what's happening here with this stupid like well heidi did you tell the you know did you say that i was gunning for jimbo and like i actually care about this now heidi becomes the interesting one for me because part of me is like she got too emotional but part of me is like she raised her booking fee she showed a bunch of good looks she knew at that point that she probably was not going to win Jimbo's really probably going to win unless anything goes wrong. So why not leave early? <laughs> why not go home? I'm tired. I just want to go home. And, and God so part damn, of did she create a moment by doing this? Exactly. And so part of me is over like three episodes. I don't think she was like, I'm so emotional. I must leave. I think she was like, I got this. I could head out now and like it's get me. all the benefits and waste none of the time. I'm going home. <laughs> and I think maybe even some amount of emotional, but yeah, not yeah. like psychotic collapse emotional. Just yeah. like, it, it, okay, I don't need to be here. You can't legally keep me here. It yeah. wasn't an Alexis Michelle moment. I just imagine that Alexis Michelle gets to the McDonald's drive-thru and it's after a show and she's drunk and she's tired and she just wants to go home and her friend is driving and she reaches over her friend and she's like elbows right into her friend's dick, like right into it to get to the drive-up speaker and just scream, Hello? Hello, barbecue sauce! And they're like, I'm so sorry. Do you have... Ma'am, we're barbecue sauce. Ma'am, ma'am, we're out of sauce. And then she just How can like, you be out of sauce? Exactly, but crying. Sobbing. Full his sobbing. Like leave yeah. Britney alone. Yeah. Um, that said, Alexis Michelle is don't the... don't don't he can't. He can't don't. avoid it. You know it's what you got pride. yourself into, motherfucker. Pride. I am like the horniest man on earth in the first place. <laughs> And it's Where's that pride? butts picture I sent you? God, I just Alexis Michelle has really aged into his into his face really oh. beautifully. 
Um, but speaking of people who have aged really beautifully, I actually want to give it up for Darian Lake and Mrs. Kasha Davis, uh, because not the just Queens I, of Rochester, New York. And am I not just a fan of Kasha's serial empire, but mm. I also think there's a lot to be said for the quality of aged dignity on television. I bring it up a lot, but Blanche is 48 in the pilot for fucking Golden Girls. We told women 25 years ago, go die. And, you know, that's 35 years ago with the Golden Girls pilot. So, like, you know, when I look at Darian Lake, and I'll be honest, Darian has about uh, 15, 16 years on me. And it's such a dumb thing to say, but, like, my, my Nana kind of passed away when I was uh, very young. So my memory of her is permanently frozen at her about 50 years old. And... It's kind of in Darian's age and Darian looks like she could be related to my family. Like Darian looks like we are related. And um, I, I genuinely love her a lot. Like I feel very connected to her. Like I feel like she's a member of my family and I would lose control if I met her. Like just like you could be in my family. I would love to like just be friends with you. And so like you wind up so connected to these women and to see that there's that opportunity for older women in this world where there really wasn't 20 years ago. You know, RuPaul has gotten a lot of things fracking wrong, but um, she occasionally gets things right. And while I did not enjoy seeing two beautiful, incredible women uh, of an age of dignity eliminated two weeks in a row, I definitely think it is worth mentioning that there was room on television for two beautiful older women Despite the size of Jimbo's breasts. Mm. <laughs> oh, she's so cool. Fuck, I love Mrs. Kasha Davis. She's so All cool. All those headshots. And <laughs> it's so, so in love with her husband. Ah. is like the cutest, sweetest, yeah. sexiest thing. And, you know, I mean, unfortunately, they both did deserve to go home those week, the, the weeks that they went home. Uh, and that is part of the formula. Uh, we do see, you know... We've seen definitely, especially where the top is concerned, some, uh, I feel like chicanery might be the right word, some gaslighting that is, <laughs> that is part of the drag race process. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, everybody really needs to go with the intention of just showing their stuff because you, it's, it's, it's like that, the, uh, drag dinner show like in some ways production's just gonna do what they want no matter how hard you compete there really are times where it just doesn't happen the way you know the, the results are not clearly what we all saw on screen and we all just kind of have to deal with that a little bit um, and so you know the weeks that they went home, those two really were were in the bottom. And Jimbo is just absolutely uh, knocking it out of the park to the point where it doesn't really seem like uh, there's much other option. Um, and that's okay. Because for the most part, we should be having a good time. For the most part, we are. 
I think you starting off pointing to the fact that like, I'm not really here for that TV drama. I think the three of us are really not and are not super compelled by those moments, but it is part of the package. I think sometimes when they're really funny, we can laugh at them when they're really over the top. We like to sort of be part of the moment, but I think that's where the three of us, especially uh, start looking at our phones a little bit, start tuning out a little bit. Um, But this is a solid season for just seeing some really like classic talents do its thing, Uh, you know, to see some good redemption stories. Like, I mean, I think Candy Muse getting a chance to be herself, but not shoot herself in the foot with it. Uh, has been really nice because she annoyed the shit out of me her season. And I really do kind of just enjoy her here. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, I'm really glad James Mansfield is going as far as she has because I like seeing her get that screen time. And she's really cute and funny. Um, but like, we're watching the Jimbo show and we're having fun watching the Jimbo show. And I think if we all just lean into it, we're okay. Now, Actually, in regard to that, I do want to kind of interact. There's something like I'm a, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very pansexual man. And uh, I have noticed some of these uh, tiny little sensuous queens. uh, They wind up dominating the physicality of the show. It's amazing how Violet, Aquaria, uh, Nikki Doll, they're these tiny little, these tiny little waif figures. And they're very attractive and they're very... Um, I guess culturally expected, but for such tiny people, they get a lot of the screen, and that's really frustrating as a person who appreciates a thicker person as well. Like I'm saying, how beautiful Alexis is. I think Britta from season twelve is one of the hottest guys to ever be on the show ever. And there is something really cool about this season not catering to just a physical type. Don't get me wrong. There is no coming for Kahana's beautiful body or the incredible shape of Monica Beverly Hills. But this season, more than many, is excited to embrace size, age, color. I mean, Lala is so beautifully dark. And, you know, uh, Riri. Lala. You had it right. I had it right first. And I was like, no, because her name is so perfect. Uh, it's just musical and she's so beautifully dark. She she's exquisite. And that's just not something I feel every season celebrates with the same energy that this one does. I agree. I think uh, some of that is production using what they have on hand wisely. I mean, the thing, the joke that is made is that this is no longer RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. This is RuPaul's Drag Race. Who was available? And I'm I'm starting to get a little annoyed that we're not actually leaning into that because it is kind of bringbacks. Uh, and you know, like I would have, I would would have put Candy on All Stars. Uh, James is kind of a toss up for me. James left first. James has done amazingly yeah. since, but like. Uh, James did not do amazingly on her season. Monica Beverly Hills didn't do amazingly on her season. I think Monica is a bring back because, you know, she was competing under stress that she didn't deserve. Um, But inevitably, a lot of the girls on All Stars are not who I consider, like, 
all stars. Oh man, like that girl was killing it and went home due to not wanting to take a mask off or, you know, due to you know, stress. Several of us belong on this show. Due to just being a nutcase, like you know, there are so many people who like I'm I was like, I really saw you going to the end, and for whatever reason you didn't. But a lot of people end up on All-Stars are like, you were the first person out the door with good reason, and I never really thought much of you since. And that's okay. Um, sometimes again, it's the gaslighting that the show does where it's like, don't call it all-stars, call it second chances, and then give us mm, okay. the all-star show. The um, All-Stars title ultimately just means you were on the show before. And that's yeah. not really what an All-Star is. An All-Star really should mean that you went far in the competition. Or yeah, showed okay. serious promise in some yes. way. I mean, again, like, I really like Lala Ree. I love seeing her here. I'm not trying to shade her in any way. But she left earlier than later, kind of middle of the road. Uh, she had a challenge that is so notoriously bad. We talk and laugh about it all the time. And uh, I can't believe she managed to survive through that. I just, uh, there was no point at which I was like, but you know who I need to see again? Lala Ree. Stoked that she's so, back. Go. Here's an example then. Yeah. When we watched the premiere of 15, we were like, Irene's going to go all the way. Irene all is going to win this season, and yes. Irene was cut first. Yes. So is that someone you would say you felt showed more potential? Because I would agree, James sort of didn't really leave much of an impression other than, like, seemed so meek and it was so sad when yeah. he was cut. Yeah. But, like, Irene, we thought, was really going to go far, and it yes. was a really huge disappointment. So that's one that you think would be after one episode, perhaps? Would yeah, count. if if you were saying to me, how could you ever go back to All Stars after one episode? I would say a James Mansfield cannot, uh, and an Irene Dubois can. James did not show that kind of. The thing about James, the only reason I like kind of hesitate with James is because after Drag Race, she so showed so much uh, uh, skill and comedy in other venues right. that I'm like, you know, she really is a star. Um, but then that's true of everybody. Like Lala, I have seen uh, like on Ocean Kelly tracks rap and, um, you know, in music videos, just looking stunning. So like if that's the qualifier, they're all amazing. Like to get on the show afterwards, you really have to be pretty garbage at your job to not do awesome afterwards in a way that makes me be like and that's why i'm like second chances because i would watch la la re again i just wouldn't call her in the context of drag race an all-star and i and i'm like guys develop two shows that's double the programming for you give us the second chances show do all stars and i've always said like do a pageant show do a comedy show it's time to break this stuff up because we are on season eight of all stars it's getting monotonous no matter how you slice it but we really are not at uh all star people when they when they come in which is just to go all the way back to your point of I think they really did an amazing job of since these are the queens that were able to make it and beyond this season. What a fantastic diverse group. And I think they have figured mm. out how to highlight that and not be like, well, let's get the olds out in episodes one and two, and then we can highlight the hot girls. Like, you know, the fact that they are letting it be Jimbo show and Jimbo is uh, really cute, but like, 
not said like this is the Jimbo show is not a sexy show doing <laughs> this no. horrifying uh, Shirley Temple <laughs> is not a sexy oh, match game. Uh, what shame on you, dirty old man. What an amazing character. One for the record books. True. But like, uh, you know, not Jimbo is not even doing like Jessica Rabbit caricature of sexiness. It's like uh, acid house Jessica Rabbit in a way that I just love. Uh, it's that fake Jessica Rabbit from the movie. It's a man. <laughs> That's Jimbo. Yeah. You nailed it. You know, That's Jimbo. One of the things that I think is the most charming about All Stars is like All Stars kind of lets people do their thing. Heidi, you know, I think is such a rare talent. Um, but I think one of the things about Heidi and Closet is she is not um like drop dead gorgeous. You know, when you've got Kahana Montree sitting next to Heidi and Closet, right? There's a lot more performance that a Heidi has to do because we see Kahana and we're just like so hot and we just kind of give her a pass in some places because the aesthetics encourage us to right and something that I think is important is when you know um a door left a door left because myself size was being real mean to are you guys was gonna be a KK so we're gonna have fun. Not having fun here. Oh. And then I guess Rayanne Graff told her her hair was holding her back. And then um, Bendela oh. was just like, "I'm, I'm too big for this. I have to go." And then, you know, we have Heidi leaving. It's a very different leave, and that's something that I do want to give RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars. You might be on season eight. And yeah, you're definitely kind of stretching the format. Like you can only take color forms so far. It's sticking plastic on plastic. Get over it. But she found a unique way to leave. She was like, I've been threatening to leave for a few weeks. And I just don't like the drama. I'm too successful for this. Bye. I don't like my own drama. I'm out of here. And I just think that that's at least a unique change that the show is able to deliver. Yeah. Yeah, it's still got tricks up its sleeve. Uh, you know, I I just am of the mindset that, like, let's keep it pushing. Let's do some new stuff. Never stop, never stopping. You know, there's, there's no good in saying I've accomplished everything I need to accomplish with this program. And I think that's the main key behind Drag Race. Drag Race created uh, a world of subversive entertainment for the mainstream. And that's really important to consider because something that is now the case is RuPaul's Drag Race is mainstream. You know, you can't say that it's not, which in some ways means that like RuPaul's Drag Race is responsible for the cuntification of language. And there's some things about that that are like when you talk about subversive counterculture and you elevate it to culture things that should not be elevated because they're subversive counterculture get elevated. And suddenly you've got straight married dads of three who say they'd be totally cool with it. If their kid was gender fluid saying yes, hunty and it's not a good look. Right. Um, so I mean, I they look like giant dorks, but we're happy that they love their kids. 
and they're always really cute when they get boners when you rub them, right? Um, so there are worse looks. No one ever said golf shirts are uncute, right? So I said that. Oh, well, you're wrong. Golf shirts are so cute, and I have a closet to prove it. So, um, whole point is that I think Drag Race All Stars is sort of falling victim to the fact that it's people we recognize, and that also traps them in a unique situation because now they have to uphold character. Something that it was the first time I noticed it was in like third episode. Aquarius says in season ten uh, or season nine, ten, ten. But it's not. No, no, you had it. Sorry. Aquarius says, um, I have a lot of fans back home who are watching this. I need to behave within their expectation. And this is an entire show of Aquarius. And that's of note. So everybody here is behaving a little bit more like they're in Clue than they're playing Clue. Right. When you play Monopoly with your friends every now and then, you're like, yeah, idiot, I'm clearing you out at Boardwalk. But if you're doing it on TV, you're always like, oh, no, just a house there. No. Gotcha. (laughs) That's, I think, a little bit. Oh, you don't have to pay rent on this turnaround. For the record, I'm the most sadistic Monopoly player, and I like to get everybody on the entire board trapped and indebted to me and continuing to play just to play. And before everybody realizes it, we've gone around the board like nine times where everybody is in debt to me hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're all just playing in my little maze. Um, I would be great on All-Stars because if I'm playing a game, it's to win, and I don't care. So... Uh, yeah, but you would fold in the pressure on standard drag. <laughs> That's the problem. I would never make it to all stars, but on all stars, I'd be great. Uh, I, I think that's a little bit what I'm trying to say. It's uh, it's not predictable because we've got some cool changes, but it's formulaic. So I know there will be an unpredictability here. I know that I'm not going to. I mean, like they're great winners. No one's saying that Alaska and Trixie aren't befitting winners but like you do hit a point where not everybody is in alaska not everybody is a detox not everybody i mean every relax talks i can never say it right that's fine uh, nobody should i think uh, you said it close enough right has a bus stop <clears throat> and when you hit the bus stop get on out Get on out. And toot, I think toot, get on board. Nobody's leaving the station anymore. But it actually does. I actually want to bounce back to something since we're on RuPaul's Drag Race for one second. I meant to say yeah. this earlier. Uh, speaking of things getting delisted, you know, the thing that I can't believe none of us talked about was, was Rap Battle starring Carson Kressley, um, which immediately after airing was not available on any streaming service in the entire can't world. talk about it. That's why it's too sad. Yeah, so like, you know, one thing that I will give RuPaul's Drag Race is that I think every versus the world season is available. And yeah. like, you can't even say that about every episode of the most of this, uh, you know, the penultimate season of Price is Right, where right. like, there's four episodes up on Paramount Plus. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a content empire, you know, wow, wow presents um, as in like an app and a, a streaming service delivers quite a lot um on top of what you get from 
the main shows being offered on Viacom, you know, Paramount apps. Uh, it's a, it is a full media empire. And I guess my critique is always like, it could be more. Uh, I, and that's why I'm like, don't do season eight of all stars becoming who could show up. Stop. You should have stopped with the all winter season and split it into all-stars second chances you should do four episode uh mega pageants you should do Ooh, love that. um you know four episode stand-up comedy challenges uh you should do just roasts but rather than having them be uh you know 15 minutes of an episode of drag race comedy central has put out how many stupid roasts of like the pete davidson's of the world that i don't give a shit about i would watch them for every single person in the orbit of drag race t.s madison nicole byer lonnie love carson kressley get santino back for one i mean there's, there's, these shows are writing themselves and i'm sure somebody geniuser than i am has a reason why this can't happen but uh we are just getting to a point where it's like if you're going to call it all stars, I have high expectations and I start getting real critical uh, when I look at the cast list and I'm like, this doesn't feel like an all star. This feels like a was available because I know who the fans are clamoring for. It's why I've never been like dancing with the stars. I've always been like dancing with the guy that might be working at my Dunkin Donuts next week, depending on how his agent feels for real. Yeah. All right. I think uh, I think that takes us through our uh, our drag coverage. Yeah, we're we're through it. And I think uh, I think I want to throw it to a commercial. Yeah, commercial it up, promote some of our other amazing content on this channel. Because what you might not know about this amazing channel here is it's not just us three beautiful men, but there are a host of other incredible creatives that go into making this programming. Not just us. And uh, within that scope, we have made some incredible programming like the Billy Club looking at the first year of Daredevil and looking to come back for a season two any minute. Our incredible comic backlog, as well as Kid Riot, our original comic book series, which you can always check out some information on through our amazing page. There is so much to check out here at X's for show. Uh, we will not be taking any impairment fees for uh removing stuff because there's no real listing of it so you'll never know so i think uh let's do a commercial uh oh yeah by the way we're definitely talking into the spider-verse any second yeah um mayday parker this is like i i so real story um married to kevo uh boyfriends with tk and uh one of the things is that tk and i managed to get pregnant with spider girl and i'm just not sure how we're going to see the the movie when together when we're you know so far apart but uh i am i'm super excited but uh okay so let's throw up that commercial and uh let's uh come on back and finish this thing out yeah all right we're back Act three. So you know, uh, you know, Hamlet's dad is already dead or whatever, and um I don't know, the merchant of Venice already bought the belt. I don't know, what are they buying the merchant of Venice? Is it like merchandising a single thing? Uh yeah, it's old iPhones. Of course. Uh William Shake's phone. Fucking so, remakes. Fucking remakes. So 
Uh, speaking of remakes, everybody remembers the 1936 classic film, The Great Food Truck Race, starring Tyler Florence. And uh, so we're going to be talking about its very popular remake on its fourth season. Um, I love this show unabashedly. Um, it's pretty stupid at times because like they're like, what will you do if your food truck gets a flat tire? Oh, yeah, the stupidest drama on this goddamn show. And these people should not be allowed behind the wheel of a car. So many of them. The things they crash into. Um, there's a season where a team uh, loses at, in the first episode because they couldn't figure out how to turn the gas on their stove on. They thought it was broken. They just couldn't find the nozzle. It's, it's a mess, but that's part of uh, what makes it so endearing. And I think one of the things that is going to make this uh, season so endearing as well is occasionally there's gimmicks. There have been gimmicks in the past. There was the winter season that we loved so much. Oh, that was so um, great. Yeah. And uh, this season, uh, the theme is David versus Goliath. Now, that personally has me very excited. Something that was really exciting. So, you know, TK came into our worlds a little bit after... Uh, the orbit on uh, food truck began. So he was like, so do they win the food truck? Do they work on the food truck? And I had to be like, sometimes a little bit of both. So having a season where it's like, I food truck and other people are like, I do not yet food truck. Sounds I aspiring up. food truck. Someday to truck the food. I think that's a really good way to get me excited about this season. Um, you know, there really is a thing that I love to point out, and that's if everybody is, you know, six foot eight, no one's tall anymore. Now everybody is average height. If every single person on food trucks has. 10 years of experience and been running their food truck for eight years and owns six food trucks that actually has a culinary experience having learned at the Sorbonne. And like when everybody is basically a top chef reject who has just agreed to do it in a food truck to get famous, it's not engaging. So having a split David's versus Goliath's, this is enough to get me reinvigorated in a franchise that I never felt bored on. Yeah, I feel where you're coming from. Uh, having not seen nearly as much of this as you guys have, I will say that the spread overall really trends toward something that I appreciate as uh, somebody who uh, has been slash still kind of is a food service professional, but is not particularly trained, is not aspiring to a restaurant, uh, but still has to do a lot of cooking and kitchen work in my life. Like these are all people who work in food and are capable of making something that anybody would want to eat, but their, their goals are very different. And then on top of that, people's levels of experience uh, in this particular sphere of food service is different. And the requirements for succeeding in it are different. So it's a whole other world. And to take that and then say, like, we're going to even do you one more and do, you know, David's versus Goliath. We're going to show even more that there are 
various spheres of experience here, I think is a really smart move at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, Kevo, I, I growing up watched a lot of cooking shows. Like I, I've sobbed talking about uh, Yan can cook uh, and Martin Yan. Uh, Julia Child was, you know, my other grandmother just see Darian Lake. And I really, you know, cooking shows were my childhood. And like Star Trek, there were a lot of things that like growing up guys that I was like trying to, you know, get in uh, were like, that's nerdy. I don't like that. You can't fuck me if you do that. So like these things were beat out of me. And, um, you know, one of the things you said was, no, I want all of my weird bear and uh, food shows were something that we graduated into. But I'll be honest, of all of our food shows, this is the only one I feel you're like passionate on. And I would love to know if there's something about this particular show, if there's something about making people cook while driving that yeah. um, really, what is it about this show? Is it the history of drag performers? Is it the cute boys and, you know, tank tops? Is it that we'll always yeah, have exactly. Boston and Philly cheesesteaks to talk about? Whether it's that some of these contestants are slime balls, whether it's that some of these contestants are not the spirit of Corilla. Whether it's not Corilla. Um, you know, it's it's so many things. It's so silly. The theme song is just like it was a longer theme song, and now it's just the one riff of a guitar and someone shouting food truck road trip that's the whole theme song uh it's it's so silly and fun and what does dave say about his food truck where he's like it's basically a van full of ovens it's it's yeah exactly like you said this is this is such a ridiculous thing to make people compete during uh but they do it uh who would have said combine food competition with amazing race and this does it uh and you know i was never a food show person growing up i caught a couple of episodes of iron chef once or twice but that's about it um as long as it's not the american i don't know it was like three o'clock in the morning and i was 20 so who knows anymore but you know, food really is something that is universal and that we can all relate to in one way or another. And whether you agree with what the judges say, ultimately, it's something that makes you think about food in a way that you hadn't thought about it before. And especially when you add the danger element of these people crashing, there's going to be a crash this season. Someone's going to hit something or be hit by something. Look at this woman down here in the block. Look at that boot on her leg. Do you think she came to the show like that? Or do you think that's going to happen on screen? Who knows? We We're going to find out. We can dream. We've seen people drop out for medical reasons and have to be replaced. We saw two trucks go down to half people and combine. We saw a woman run off screen because so okay it is a long-standing tradition that chase uh, latin people uh never seem to get their hackles up more than when we are around uh other latin people 
as a proud Cubano, I will say there is a lot of, but is she Puerto Rican that goes on within the community? And uh, there were two Latina trucks that were competing and one Latina locked herself in the bathroom and never came out. Just locked herself in. And they were like, will you please come back to production? Oh, yeah, I remember that. You're on camera. Please come back. You literally wore a tiara in your confessional in the first day. And now you're seeming pretty weak sauce. Please come back. And she just wouldn't. Um, You know, it's a show that is always full of surprises. But the other thing that I think this show has going for it. Tyler Florence isn't doing this to become a billionaire. Like Tyler Florence makes his money from like his like cookbooks and like, you know, his, his meal plans and stuff like, like a chef. He makes his money from being a chef. He doesn't make his money from hosting this dumb show. He like, and if you watch, there's actually a partner show that goes with this, where he just talks about uh, the town that they're in and all of the local food that he ate. It's going to sound horrible. But like, I love that he's gained like a hundred pounds since starting the show. Mm. I love that he loves his job and he loves eating. And like, he's his eyes are always bloodshot, and he's always like, <laughs> so like, we're pretty sure he's always stoned. Um, but like, the man loves food, and he loves teaching other people how to succeed with food. He's not here to be your chef mentor. He's here to be your business mentor. He does chef mentoring on Worst Cooks. The four seasons or five seasons he did that. There's something about his entrepreneurial spirit. He wants to see food thrive. And he wants to see it thrive all over the nation. And I, in a world where Padma Lakshmi has turned her back on Top Chef. This is why they put a fatwa on Solomon Rushdie in the first place. Jesus Christ. This is why. And I didn't write the satanic verses, did I? No. So We don't know that. If I were Solomon Rushdie and I were living in this hovel in an upper middle class suburb in New Jersey. Hovel, he says. I kid. I kid. I just wish I had Rushdie money. You know what I mean? Um, So I just think this show stands out as an idea. Right. Like it is kind of like a drag race, whereas an American Idol is just like sing and get famous. There's an artistry to this. The mini challenges are so fascinating to see how people will incorporate the idea of Korean barbecue into a fish fillet sandwich, how you might have to incorporate vegan Latin food into a barbecue challenge like there's an artistry to it that I feel is probably second to none in my heart for cooking and competitions. One of the things that's going to be great about the structure of this season, too, is going to be seeing how a Goliath team handles the structure of the show versus a David team. And how many uh, teams we've seen in past seasons of this show where, you know, a lot of mini challenges uh the things they ask you to do are optional. It's whether or not you want to win a prize or if you want to try Hold and go your, your own route. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what a Goliath team does versus a David team, uh, what experience teaches you. And, um, you know, so many of these things come down to dumb luck and the town that you end up in and 
how the audience there responds to what you're putting out. So the crepes from the Goliath team might not do as well as the Creole food from a David team, depending on the area. So uh, just everything about these choices. Uh, and th and there's, there's so many different factors that um, affect the outcome of the seasons of this show. And so introducing even more elements like this uh, really heightens the level of engagement and entertainment. I think my biggest question for you, TK, is we've watched 16 seasons of this nonsense. And I, if you're asking me, I think my two favorite seasons are the All-Star and the holiday season. Uh, the All-Stars were just, it was every team you've ever rooted for. It was so great. But um, slime balls! So, TK, one of the things is, like, you do have the relationship with the culinary arts that you were saying and like, I'll be honest, I've said repeatedly, I'll follow you into hell. If you told me that the three of us were going to start a food truck tomorrow and we were going to compete, just what do you want to call it? Homo hummus? And we're just going to start making hummus? Let's do it. Like, whatever you said. How do you feel about this? Because I, I really, I don't want to stress it too much, but Kevo really pointed out my favorite thing about this show. They give you $200 and say you can compete in the challenge or you can save the $200 for your seed money. You can purposely throw a challenge and save those ingredients for when you're cooking. They make it so clear that this is more about strategy, food preparation. Like they literally say, if you're smart, you'll prepare the food on Tuesday that you need for Thursday's challenge. Right. Like, how do you feel about a show that is as much strategy as it is talent, where the other things we watch are a little bit more talent than strategy? Uh. You know, the thing about it is food prep strategy is talent. Okay, uh, great. Knowing how to manage what you've got and how to set expectations for your customers, uh, for yourself about your customers as well. Uh, that's all part of the game. Knowing when you have a product that benefits from, you know, a bunch of pre-prep work on Tuesday so that on Thursday you can just roll out. Because some things you can't do that with. You know, if you if right. it's a if it's a sushi truck. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, I, but I love that. I mean, I like any show that says like, show me that you are on top of your game. And by game, I mean like on top of your business, um, managing all parts of it, your own abilities as a chef, your own abilities as a business person. Um, I, I'm all about that. So, you know, I think that is the right instinct to convince me that these are people worth rooting for. Kevo, what brings you back to this show? You know, TK gave a really compelling reason that somebody might be willing to open their heart to this show, but you've watched 16 seasons. This is the fourth fucking all-female crepery. Are you kidding me? And always or something like black it. hair. And like it's oh uh, man, though, these guys are that's the right size a man should be. Like those two guys, that's that's a that's a good size boy. Uh what brings oh, you we're back? Coming up on the house. Oh no, that those two guys are also not bad. Well, and we're coming up on the 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 the, the truck oh, that I uh, know is trend this truck. This is the one we're going to have our eyes on for sure. 
if you look um, at that guy's like thigh thickness and arm thickness, that guy could wrestle a bear. And part of why I you know, wanted to cycle through all the different truck photos to give a closer look at everyone is uh, one of the reasons that does bring me back to this show so much is every year the diversity of trucks that there are it's really so interesting and you never know which ones are going to make it like i said for all the different various factors and it's really fun to see who they pick um all like the the truck designs are always so fun and you are always very surprised by uh the personalities of these people and you think just based on appearance uh i swear to god we i would guess we're gonna hate these women but they could be our favorites yeah it's, it's 50 50 there have been these you know twee little pigtail girly girls that we've been like they need to go home and there have been ones that we've been like we want to see them go all the way there was um the season with just wing it that we loved so much where uh those boys had that really fun relationship with uh the group of girls that season and we really yeah. enjoyed them and you really can't pin anyone down just based on you know what the culinary art is or what they look like it's it's always such a surprise what you end up with the number of trucks that have an outwardly facing celebrating black culture celebrating black street culture urbanized culture you know hip-hop and then when they get on the truck they're like so what do you guys make and they're like oh we do salmon crepes and we studied uh delicacies so we also hand make croissants every morning and like and then then as soon as they're open up they're like all right so who wants a hip-hop croissant and like mm. It is this fine art. Whiplash. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it's a celebration that is that one in a million truck, that, that unique blend of those two things, because there's dozens, hundreds, thousands of trucks that would blend those two things. But this one truck that does it in this one way, it's something I wouldn't get to see over here. And it's something that the thousand and, you know, 500 miles that these guys cover, those people wouldn't get to see either. Uh, you know, this inspired me to love food trucks the way I do. I definitely wasn't a food truck guy before this. Um, but mm. the, uh, the big takeaway for me is that I, I love this show as something to share with people. I love uh, drag race is a communal experience. This show is a communal experience. I'm also very, 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 very excited about Project Runway, but that's a very personal experience for me. I'm excited to share that with my guys because I love my guys. But don't talk to me during Project Runway. Don't don't speak while it's on. Just don't talk. It's just better for you if you don't talk while Anya's on screen. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it. Not a good move. Um, so yeah, that all said, do you guys have anything else on this week's uh, TV roundup? Um, but before I take this down, are there any trucks that anyone is, uh, particularly excited to, uh, see? I'm, uh, I'm really interested in Jamaican tacos. Yeah, you know what? A Brooklyn truck doing Jamaican tacos, that's really exciting. Uh, you know, honestly, there is a long history of, uh, the, as they are so proud to talk about, 
uh, coconut culture coming through this show and so proud of their Hawaiian heritage. And it's so incredible because a Hawaiian truck could never service the mainland 48 because it's an island so that this show is able to bring over, you know, Hawaiian food trucks. What a gift. Right. And so uh, that is a long tradition on this show that I am so excited to see Tyler continue with the bald guy who is uh, again, hot um i'll admit paisani there is a history of fuck you up italian guy trucks that uh yeah they are some of the most entertaining in the history of the series um anybody it was else? really funny when mike ditka made uh made that Philly season's cry? cry yep oh my so. god uh, and I just want to give it up to St. Louis. There's a long history of St. Louis trucks on the show as well. St. Louis trucks maybe don't do as well as they should, considering St. Louis's uh, famous, you know, culinary experience. But I'm hoping to see four hens go all the way. Uh, I do tend to root for the all-female teams, and uh, so seeing that there's a female lead and it's a St. Louis team, it's not exactly my normal, but I'll go for it. Um, you guys named all the ones I'm really excited about. Although, uh, Boston, uh, Italian truck, I am actively rooting against them and <laughs> to see if I can go back in time and sabotage them. Uh, in exchange, I would love to see Lisa's crepery just absolutely dominate and destroy them. Just uh, kill. Yeah. Just eat them alive. Yeah. Uh, I want that to be the narrative. I want like them Nelly to be adorable. Furtado, yep. eat your man. Yeah, uh, devour him whole. So that's you know, fingers crossed about that. Especially because they're both Goliaths. So yeah. So which Goliath is better? I'm excited to find out. I mean, I'm excited to see any of these uh, Goliath teams try to big dick each other. Yeah. And I wonder how many of them have actual, uh, like, legitimate experience with each other. I am not mm. quite sure that as many seasons in the past have had what I would refer to as Goliath trucks. You know, there's just no, let's just say it for one second, you know, the most famous, most powerful, most incredible truck ever, like the Oz of food truck race, fucking Lime Truck, man. Lime Truck did a season, did an all-star season, came back and did multiple appearances as mentor trucks. Like, you know, Lime Truck is the all-time Kelly Clarkson of this fucking show. It's the jinx of this show. So there's just, I don't know. I am so excited because I've never, like, Kevo and I literally, uh, I don't want to be like a dork, but like I've said to Kevo for like three years now, I kind of just want to talk about Food Truck and Project Runway on, on YouTube. And like I've specifically said, it's these two shows. And so now that we have Drag Race and a family, family. Family. Uh, I was already on family. the main page. Might as well. Uh, and a family worth talking about it with. I couldn't be more excited or more proud. And, uh, you know, we, tomorrow, speaking of... There's your project. Oh, God. Wait, can you just go to Victor for a second? Victor, Victor Luna. right? No, that's... Uh, Victor is... I don't have anyone pick. labeled. That one. Yep, that's Victor. Just... He is an example of a man who said, if I'm going to come back to reality television, I'm going to have a look. I'm going to update my look. I'm going to understand that this is an industry. The same is true of Rami, who I thought was gorgeous when I was a kid and watching this. 
and the man he's grown into is just as beautiful. Uh, Kato. Kato is one of the most famous competitors from this show ever. She has an incredibly successful line of cannabis-infused clothing and hemp clothing, and she is a genius. And uh, she's the same, where she said, I want to come back with a look that matches now. So there are things like uh, Project Runway, getting to see people that I've been in love with since God knows when, like in the case of, uh, you know, Karasan, who if I say her name one more time in 2023, I'm going to have to start paying money. But I am maybe the most, like, I don't know that I've ever been more excited for a contestant to come back to reality television in the history of television than Karasan. She literally could go home. She could literally walk out the minute she walks in and go, fuck this. I'm not here for this. It would still be the greatest, greatest ever victory in television history for me. Karasan is everything. Anyway, uh, tomorrow we're doing Fast and Furious uh, with the Joes. Joey Lewandowski is the guy who taught me how to podcast. And I would, uh, it's, you know, the bodyguard soundtrack levels of I have nothing uh, if I don't have him. Hey, Michelle. And, um, Joe two is there of course. Cause Joe two is a, uh, the funniest guy and he's so great to have there. And I can't wait to talk fast and furious with these two gentlemen and those two gentlemen. Kevo, I believe we have an excitement board. Yes. Oh, coming soon. That's better than excitement board. We have a yes. uh, Spider-Man across the spider verse. Teak. I am. I am. I, I, know, I think I'm going tomorrow. I haven't gone to see it yet because I wanted to like go when you go, so that we can, like, and like talk about it, so we can see her. Oh, we're gonna talk about it. Okay, uh, really excited. It's uh, it's the best. Miguel is, used to be my spider guy. Now it's Mayday. Um, some other. Maybe. I know a couple of spoilers. I know a couple of appearances. I'm really excited. Uh, can't wait to go see it. I know that Pedro Pascal is not in it yet because Oscar Isaac really wants him to be. So uh, I think, you know, here's my before I've even seen the movie. Here's my pitch for that, because we're obviously getting this baby and I love this baby, but the baby's not going to be grown up by next movie. So Pedro Pascal should play old Peter Parker that is the father of Mayday who is a teenager who should be there for realsies like I'm stoked we're getting baby Mayday but now I need like a cool teen Kevo who did you say was playing um Gwen's Pete oh Boimler oh yeah Jack Quaid yeah there's just a lot of really cute voice cast members in here and yeah. like so many people want to be involved in these things and i just think that's so cool how many people are so into doing voice work now nico here's my challenge for you across the spider-verse a la across the universe how has the song not been produced do it now Spider Guru Craven Venom. Nailed it. See? All right. Uh, expect this for next episode, everyone. I'll do what I can, but uh, I'm going to super hard channel Fiona. Yeah. But I'm going to segue a little bit and do Rufus doing Judy at the Palladium. So, uh, speaking of Jack Quaid and Boimler. Star Trek Strange New Worlds is my favorite series uh, in a franchise that means more to me than my left nut. And I have never 
respected a captain the way I respect Pike. Um, it's one of the most fantastic pieces of sci-fi art I've ever seen. It is, and it, it's hard to even talk about how it so perfectly works in the original, but isn't afraid to do its own thing. I've never been more impressed with Rebecca Romaine as an actress or as a, I guess actress, but like the physicality she carries herself with is unlike anything she's ever physically moved with. It's like a different sense of movement. Everybody gives their best here. Uh, it's also a beautiful cast. They're all such a, an attractive looking crew. It makes it really exciting to watch them in HD in a way that I would not appreciate William Shatner. Um, yeah. Anybody else? Anything else on the coming soon board they want to hit up? No. Oh, God. Barbie. Yes. Can't wait. Sorry. Yeah. So I mean, it's all going to be good. We're going to have a blast with all of it. Don't even worry. And more TV will happen. Um We'll, we'll end up having to pull some stuff from the archives if this writer strike goes on, but that's okay because we can always find something good. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited. How about you, Kevy? What? Are you excited for anything? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you heard it here first. There Kevin. you go. He's excited. <laughs> no, yeah, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Um, Never worry about us finding something to talk about. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. I uh, I also just need to say that about a month ago, I made a comment that I was a hundred follows away from uh, a thousand follows on uh, Twitter, and that I would post something semi inappropriate when I reached that. And I am unfortunately crazy close to the number. I said <laughs> so uh, let's see how this goes. But speaking of that, where in the fudge can everybody find you snacking, Kevo? Snacking in my house. But you can find me on the internet over at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. TK, where can people find you snacking? You can find me snacking in a closet uh, with all the lights off, weeping silently to myself. And then afterwards, I go on the internet as X Nate X Gray X. Nico, everybody already knows where you're snacking. Ah, you're the snack, buddy. I'm always snacking. It's just always like peanut butter rebuts, right? Uh, and you guys can oh. find me doing both of those things. Over. Oh, wrong, Oh, right. Sorry. You said like butts, so I was bringing up butts. Well, no, I was oh, bringing up Oh, yeah, this, this is, like, actually the butts. image of my gayness, like, drawn out every shade of the gay flag right here. Beautiful. Uh, all sorts of butts, big butts, small butts. It's great. Uh, but, also, but also, I did win a GLAAD award this year, and I'm very proud. Um, and a gaming award, right? Uh, and, again, if you don't take the time to say the people who made these things possible, you're crazy. And that's Joe Glass and Matt Miner, two brilliant visionaries who took the time to invest in uh, a bunch of creators and made a book that literally changed everything. It won a bunch of awards. That's that's I'm so lucky to be a part of it. Also, real quick, it's pride. Go tip a fucking drag queen. Right. And if you're going to tip a fucking drag queen, 
might I recommend Demanda Martini? She is not just incredibly talented, uh, but she's kind of like a muse for me. And I just think she's great. And if you're going to tip a drag queen, may I uh, recommend one who dedicates time to drag queen story hour, working with children, reinvesting in the community, promoting other artists, helping put together cabarets, contributing back uh, through fundraisers and charity. So, you know, make sure that you're back on the right horse and there is no finer stallion in the stable lady stallion what's a lady stallion mayor mayor may i suggest backing mayor winning him so um okay before i close the board there's a better look at uh your little baby girl yes she's perfect oh my god she's perfect i swear mayday would love that outfit on her baby self Mm -hmm. oh man Okay. Keep it loose. Slam heat. You can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And uh, tomorrow we're going to fast and furious it. So remember. Room, room. Until then. Right. Uh, check us out every Saturday and Sunday. All the media you can handle. We'll be covering TV, movies, music, and more every week. We are X's for show coming to you live. And we'll see you. We'll see you tomorrow for family. 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 Ants. Family of ants. Ant family. Ant family.